You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. We are in the book of Ruth. I almost said the gospel of Ruth. We are not in the gospel of Ruth. We are in the book of Ruth way back in your Old Testament, after the book of Judges, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. So if you can find Joshua or Judges, you should be able to just go back a few pages. 262 in your pew Bible is the book of Ruth. It's a very short four chapters. We're going to spend our time this Advent season just working through a chapter a Sunday. Um, I feel... I mean, I always feel this way, I suppose, when I come to the scriptures, but the book of Ruth is such a beautiful book. Um, it, you can just read it, and it just reads well. It, it's amazing to see the providence of God working in the book of Ruth. And so I just, it's so beautiful on its own, I just don't want to mess it up almost. And so uh, prayers re- uh, requested that we get and glean good content of what God is doing here in the narrative of the book of Ruth. And so this morning we'll read the first chapter here together and then kind of go back through it and see what God has for us in this book of Ruth. So this is the book of Ruth, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Pathrites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech The husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. As you have dealt with with the dead and with me, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, 
Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this, and the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So this morning, as the first Sunday in Advent, for this season we're going to be working through this Old Testament book, of Ruth. This is a much beloved book of the Old Testament for many reasons. It's, it reads wonderfully. It's very well written. And it's, it's a historical narrative. So you can really catch the flow. It isn't like reading a didactic, pedagogical teaching. You know, it's not a teaching necessarily. It's, it's a narrative. It just tells this story of Naomi and Ruth and then other figures that will come in later in the story. There's disappointment, expectation, suspense, resolution, hope, all of these very real and intense human emotions in just these four short chapters. But why the book of Ruth now? Like when I was thinking about doing an Advent season, why would we go to the book of Ruth during the season of Advent, right? Advent's supposed to be about getting ready for Christmas. So why would we go to the book of Ruth during the Advent season? Well, Advent means, means coming, the coming of the Lord, and we celebrate Advent as this season of expectation. It is this season of waiting it isn't just all pre-Christmas, but it, it, like it's not Christmas for 25 or however many days. It is this season of expectation, awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. So it leads us up to Christmas Day when we then do celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so this whole season is about waiting, expectation, hope, longing for the coming of Christ. And we currently 
are in a season in this church age of again waiting for the second coming of Christ. As they longed in ages past for the coming of the Messiah, we now still, we are back in a season of waiting, expectation and hope that Christ will return. So Advent is meant to be this season of longing and of increasing expectation. And that is the narrative arc of Ruth, is this expectation, this, this problem, and then this longing, this longing for resolution, for something good to happen, increasing expectation. That's the narrative arc of the book of Ruth. So this book is set in the time of Judges, right? It's right first First thing, first line, in the days when the judges ruled. So we know the timeline, the time period of the book of Ruth. Now, it's set right after the book. That's why it's put where it is in our Old Testament. Right after the book of Judges is the book of Ruth. It's a narrative that's from this timeline. If you had a Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth is actually put at the end of the book of Proverbs. And so there's some understanding that these characters of Ruth and of Boaz are exemplary. They are, they are examples of like Ruth of the Proverbs 31 woman. A, a virtuous woman is Ruth. And Boaz is this man of wisdom. And that we see these pictures of them coming after the book of Proverbs. But we, we place it chronologically. This book is set in the time of the judges. Now, the period of the Judges can be summarized very simply. If you're in the book of Ruth, you go back one page to the last verse in the book of Judges. Judges 21, 25. Here's, how life, here's what life was like during the time of the Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's what ruled during the time of the Judges. Just your own personal whim. What I thought was right, what I wanted to do, that is what they did. And so if you read through the book of Judges, it's this horrific time of a judge, a, a righteous judge will rise up and will vindicate Israel against all the ites. And then they'll have prosperity and, and blessing for a season. And then they'll kind of, they'll, they'll decline and they'll start worshiping false gods. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll go into idolatry and then famine and war and the ites come against them. And then they, they are broken up and they are, they, are, they are beaten in war. I mean, there's just this up and down of oppression and then liberation and oppression and liberation. It's a very dark time in the book of Judges. And so it makes sense when this book starts out. With the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. There is judgment coming upon Israel at this time, famine is happening. It's, this is what happens that causes our four main characters at the start of the book to depart their, their hometown. We have four main characters at the start, right? Elimelech, God is king. Naomi, we have Malon and Kilion. Malon and Kilion's name mean basically like uh, sick and dying or sick and failing. Their names, it's not, their names are not good just to start out right at the beginning of the book. But they live in a little town called Bethlehem. Now, hopefully right there at that mention of that name, something clicks in your mind. Oh yeah, Bethlehem is important to the Advent story and to the Christmas story, right? 
Right. We all know, because we all are taught, even in Sunday school, to sing the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And the town that they are all from, Elimelech and his family, Naomi and their kids, they are from the town of Bethlehem. Does that town matter? Absolutely, it does. And we will see by the end of the narrative why Bethlehem is important. Not today so much, but just put that in your, it's a little foreshadowing. It's a little bit of foreshadowing of where this story is going, the importance of where they begin. They begin in Bethlehem, where Jesus is going to be born. And now we're going to try to, by the end of this book, see how those are connected. This book of Ruth and the birth of Christ, that we will see how those are connected. So on with our chapter this morning. Elimelech and Naomi take the difficult circumstances of famine and they make a decision to go and try to do something better, and it just ends up worse. <laughs> they decide we're going to take our family. There's no food in Bethlehem. Maybe things will be better in Moab, and so they're going to take off. They make a decision. They think, well, we're going to leave the land of God's promise and go to Moab. Now, Moab and Israel have a lot of history, and you can look in Genesis chapter 19 after Lot escapes Sodom, and there's the whole event with his daughters in the cave. It's a terrible narrative to read, but it ends up producing the Moabites and the Ammonites. They are a product of, of Lot and his daughters, these Moabites that are typically at war with the children of Israel. They are an idolatrous people. They are not the worshipers of the one true God. But, so Elimelech and Naomi take their two boys because they're going to they're starving and they might die in Bethlehem which names means house of bread, they leave Bethlehem and go to Moab to try to survive. And what happens? Elimelech dies. Anyway, they leave the land that God has promised and they make this move hoping to survive, hoping to make their lives more secure, and Elimelech dies anyway. I'm certain that was not the plan. I'm certain that was not the plan for Naomi. I'm certain that was not what they wanted to have happened. But they move, Elimelech dies, and then her two sons, Malon and Kilion, they take Moabite wives. They might just be going for a season just to eat for the season to come back to Bethlehem, but they end up getting stuck there. There's a little bit of practical application there of how many times you may think, I'm just going to do something for a while just to, just to, just to make the ends meet or just to get through for this season. Just, I'm just a, a little bit, this may not be the, the, what God wants, this may not be what's best for me, but I'm just, just because I've got to make it right now, I'm going to go and do this, whatever it might be. And then you end up getting stuck there. You end up getting stuck in Moab. And that's what happens. Naomi ends up stuck in Moab. Ten years, eventually her sons take Moabite wives. They set down roots there. They take Moabite wives. And then what happens to Malon and Kilion? They die as well. And all through these 10 years that her sons, Malon and Kilion, take wives, Orpah and Ruth, they're childless. Their wombs are barren, which is, a, which is evidence in the Old Testament. We're talking about that God's blessing is not coming upon this family. They don't have any offspring to continue this family. They die without children in 10 years' time. Things go from bad in Bethlehem to even worse in Moab. You can just feel the darkness coming upon this family in this narrative. Important to the story of redemption is the desperate condition that we find ourselves in. 
We are, as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, we are without hope and without God in the world. In our natural state, we are without hope, without God. This is the reality of Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. They're out of God's land. They're without him in the world. They are in Moab, and they have nothing. The story of redemption starts with reality. What our real place in the world is. Desperation. They are longing for God's blessing. They are longing for something better, not just out of boredom, like, well, I think I'll try God next. Or, you know, let's, um, I'm getting kind of tired with these Moabite idols. Maybe I'll just give Jehovah a chance. It's not out of boredom. It's out of desperation. A person returns, which is one of the themes of the first chapter, specifically of the book of Ruth, this idea of return, turning. Repentance is a way to think of it. But there's all this returning, returning, returning to God. And here they are returning to God, not just because they're bored. They're returning because they're desperate. They see their state clearly. And what often keeps so many of us from turning to God as a failure to see the desperate condition that we really are in. Desperation never feels good, but the drive to look and to long for a redeemer only comes from that place of true confession of need. It is when life gets the darkest that we begin our desperate search for some light. And if we close our eyes to the darkness of our current reality, then we never end up bothering to search for a light. And so Ruth and Naomi and Orpah are plunged into darkness. And it's important that we feel the weight of that with them. We in our natural state are plunged in darkness, far from God in our sin and rebellion, and have no hope. We are under God's judgment and wrath. And if we can't see that darkness, then we never feel the turn towards the light. So soon, all of this goes on. They're in their desperate place. But Naomi hears that life in Bethlehem has become better. has been blessed by God. And they begin to journey home. At first, accompanied by both daughters-in-law, right? Orpah and Ruth. They both head back to Bethlehem. So imagine the drama here. Try to get yourself entered into this story a little bit. These two women, widows, after maybe not probably not quite 10 years of marriage, widows, no children, just a mother-in-law who's, as we'll find out, very bitter, wants to be called Mara, which means bitterness, a bitter mother-in-law, or leave all that they have ever known as their home. This would not be easy. This would not be an easy choice. They've grown up there. They've lived there all their lives. And now this mother-in-law, the only family that they have, is moving off back to Bethlehem, and they are going to go with her. The promises for them in Bethlehem are not great. They're Moabites. Moabites and Israelites, they don't get together real well. You don't want to be a Moabite showing up at Bethlehem because you're kind of viewed as the enemy. Your only hope is this mother-in-law who has, according to her story, no other relatives, no way of support. There really is no promise for them in Bethlehem. 
They're destitute. They have no family. They have no children, no sons to grow up and take over the farm and take care of their family. All these realities add to the understanding of why Orpah returns. Naomi convinces her. She's like, listen, there is nothing for you in Bethlehem. It is way better off for you to return home. And it convinces Orpah. And we shouldn't necessarily look at Orpah and just think, well, boy, she must be a real pagan, horrible person. She's making kind of a logical decision. The same one that they made to leave Bethlehem and go to Moab, she's counting up all the reasons to stay with Naomi and all the reasons to go back home and find a Moabite husband and live the rest of her life prosperous and well-fed and well-taken care of, possibly. She has way, way more hope in Moab than Bethlehem. So Orpah, she heads home. Naomi says there's no future for them. She pleads with them. There's going to be no offspring from her womb that they would be able to marry to then perpetuate the name of the family of Elimelech. And that's going to become important. It, that, that understanding is like foreign to us. <laughs> like, what in the world? Why would she try to have kids and then they'd wait to marry the sons to then have children? The, the, we'll, we'll get more into this later on in the story, but this is during this time period, the Leverite law, this was done to perpetuate the family name. Land, name, all connected together. And so the wives, if they married the old, oldest brother and the brother died off, they would then marry the next, the youngest brother to then perpetuate that family name in the place of the elder brother. And this is commonly done at this time. We'll look more into that in these coming weeks. But Orpah is convinced, really, we shouldn't condemn her. She's making a logical decision. She goes home. But Ruth, in contrast, refuses to leave Naomi. She refuses. And much of this book swings upon this confession of Ruth's love for Naomi. We encounter this steadfast love, this covenant faithfulness that is one of the themes going through the book. God's covenant faithfulness to his people. We see it exampled first here with Ruth to Naomi, verses 16 and 17. Often quoted uh, but it's very familiar language. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Something has happened in the heart of Ruth. Something different than in the heart of Orpah. Something has happened in the heart of Ruth. It seems clear there's been a conversion of some type in the heart of Ruth. She has come to embrace the God of Israel. Evidently, Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, Kilion, when they go back to Moab, they don't neglect to teach the, their neighbors, their wives, their family. They don't neglect to teach them the truths of the God of Israel. And Ruth evidently hears these truths about the God of Israel and embraces this God as her God. She says to Naomi, your God will be my God. So a conversion has happened in her heart. They must have told her about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how Abraham believed God's promise that he'd make Abraham a, fam a father of many nations. And she hears these stories and she says, that God, that faithful God, that liberating God, I want him to be my God. That God who delivered his people out of Israel, or out of Egypt, excuse me, delivered his people out of Egypt 
fed them, maintained them, cared for them for 40 years as they wandered in the, into the wilderness and then led them in triumph into the promised land. Ruth says, I want that God to be my God. She echoes the language even of Leviticus 26.12, which has that same language. You will be my people and I will be your God. And Ruth is saying, all that you've told me about this God, I want him to be my God. And so she makes this vow, this covenant, that where Naomi goes, she goes. Naomi's people will be her people. And yes, Naomi's God will be her God. Now, what's incredible about this vow is that it is a vow that values God's promises over everything else. She has no future in a material sense. She's not getting out her spreadsheet, lining up pros and cons. Okay, the con list is all of these things she's not going to have provided for her. They're going back to Bethlehem with no promises in the natural sense. No promises in the natural sense. As Sinclair Ferguson puts it in his commentary, the choice is between Jehovah plus nothing in Bethlehem or everything minus Jehovah and Moab. These are her choices. Jehovah and nothing. Just Jehovah in Bethlehem. Just God. Or everything minus Jehovah back in Moab. These are her two choices. They are homeless. They are incomeless. They are in every real sense futureless. And we see that in this final section when they get back into Bethlehem and they see her and they say, is this Naomi? Meaning pleasant? No, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because God has felt very bitterly with me. She gives the reasons. She went away full. And God brought her back empty. This is Ruth's future. <laughs> is, this, is this bitter woman who's had this rough life, who has no future, no prospects, no income, no home, no family that she's told her of, no family back in Bethlehem. She has Jehovah and nothing else, just God back in Bethlehem. And everything prosperous and good in Moab. Family, future, potential husbands back in Moab, but not Jehovah. And what does Ruth do? She says, your God will be my God. Naomi complains that she's gone away full and has come back empty, but Two things Naomi misses, right? She's blind to these realities. It's so easy when life is hard and when times are dark to become blind to the graces of God. It's the fog of grief or the fog of adversity. We all know it. You all know what I'm talking about, that when things get really tough in your life, they become all that you can see. And they become so overwhelming, so huge, that all you can see is the adversity. All you can see is the difficulty. And nothing else can fill your vision. That's why community is so important in our lives. That's why the local body, the church, is so important in your life. Because when the fog of adversity and the fog of discouragement and the fog of grief is in front of you, you have others around you who are able to lift you up, who are able to support you in the midst of this. Naomi is blind by her adversity and her grief. And she doesn't see that she hasn't come back empty. She's come back with Ruth. 
We're going to find out how incredible Ruth really is for Naomi, but she misses it. She doesn't see it. The fog of grief and adversity has blinded her to this amazing reality. Ruth has remained faithful. Ruth is there for her. Does she count Ruth for nothing? She must. And she also has returned at just the right time for the harvest. Next week, we're going to start looking at these incredible providences of God. How God, not supernaturally, like we always want God to move in some incredible supernatural, an angel of light to show up, or, you know, or some, some message, some audible voice from heaven, or some miraculous just appearance of some incredible supernatural event. We want all these incredible events in our lives. And the book of Ruth has none of those. It's amazing. Because this is a highly supernatural time in history. No incredible supernatural event. Just God's regular providential faithfulness guarding them all along the way. Just because God hasn't moved in some supernatural, miraculous, incredible way in your life does not mean God is not moving in your life. God providentially ushering these circumstances for the good of his people is what we see in the book of Ruth. You can't blame Naomi for her reaction. It's a normal response, but God will prove himself faithful in this narrative. What is incredible is Ruth. Her reaction, you can't explain. Why would she plunge herself into this situation? Why would she submit herself to the most likely outcome of ruin to go with Naomi? And the answer, I think, lies in her vow. She's going to trust God. She's going to trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Naomi's God is going to be her God. Why? Because she has seen him to be a God who is trustworthy. She is leaning on and trusting in the God who keeps his promises. Though we may be long in waiting for him, though he may delay, he will not fail. That's why the book of Ruth is, fits so well with Advent. Waiting, 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 longing. We do not know how the circumstantial details of our life will play out. And we could probably go around and testify to all the ways the details of our lives have not gone the way we wanted them to go. And we are longing and waiting. We don't know how the details of Ruth's life and Naomi, and Ruth doesn't know how the details are going to play out. But what she has come to know is that this God is faithful to his people. His love does not fail. Though we may be empty, he will not leave us empty. Though we may be outsiders to the world, his adoption of his children cannot be canceled. Christ has come. When we look at the book of Ruth in this first chapter, what we can think about is that Christ has secured our redemption through his righteous life, substitutionary death. We are brought into the family of God. He has promised to return and rescue his people and establish his kingdom on a renewed heavens and earth. He will not fail in all he promises. And though we may struggle and suffer in this life, we must cling like Ruth does to Naomi. We must cling to the promises of God for us in Christ, not running back to everything minus God, but treasuring God and his promises above all else, 
not knowing what it may mean circumstantially for us in this life, confident in the eternal promises of God that who works all things together for the good of his people. And we don't know how that plays out, but we know how it ends for the good of his people. And so we can cling to him and trust him as we long and wait and hope for that final resolution. Let's pray. Father, help us. Give us your grace that we would cling to you and your promises. I know that we all at times, and maybe some in this congregation here this morning, maybe some listening online to this, feel like Naomi and Ruth back in Moab in darkness, destitute, without hope, without you in this world. But Father, you have brought a redeemer. And though we haven't got to the end of this narrative of the book of Ruth yet, we know the story of redemption through Christ already. We know that for everyone who is far from you, they do not have to stay that way. That by confession of our sin, looking to Christ and his righteousness, we can be forgiven of our sin and brought into your family, made your dear children. Children who, has a, who have a father who is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and who has purposed nothing but good for his children, ultimate good. And God, we live in this time of longing, burdened by sin, sin in ourselves, sin in the world around us, brokenness around us, waiting, longing, hoping, and expectation for the final consummation of all things on the day of Christ. God, help us as we long, as we wait, as we expect to trust. You are the God who keeps his promises to his people. And we rest there in Christ alone. We pray these things in his name. Amen.